that's how I kind of look at that. I appreciate Miranda's heart. I think, I think God's up to something. So anyway, we are in Daniel 5, and I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to read parts of the chapter. Uh, so I'm going to ask you to turn to Daniel 5 and stand in God's honor. As I read parts of the chapter, we look at entitled Handwriting on the Wall, which many of us who have been Christians for a while are familiar with this section of Scripture. But starting at verse 1, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone. Suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. Drop down to verses 13 and 14. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? I've heard that the spirit of the gods is in you and that you have inside intelligence and outstanding wisdom. And then verses 22 through 30. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblet from his temple brought to you. And you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson. This is what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then, at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck. And he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Let's pray. Master, here we are. Speak to our hearts as we take an honest look at what happens, Father, when your warnings are not heeded. When we're so set on what we want that we refuse to to agree with what you want. I pray you speak through my weak words. May the Holy Spirit be available to speak. Say far more than I ever could, Master. In Christ's name we pray.
You know, it's interesting. At last week, we really, the message was a testament. It was about this king that had no room for God. As a matter of fact, he was godless. He worshipped the gods of Babylon, which were really idols of wood and, and different kinds of precious metals. But he didn't worship the one true God. And basically, God spoke through his servant Daniel to him and said, I'm going to get your attention, tough guy. You've exalted yourself, but it's time for you to realize you're not the center of the universe. And so for seven years, he went nuts. He went crazy. He went off the deep end. And when his sanity returned, he saw clearly. He didn't just think clearly. He saw clearly. Because it says he looked to the heavens. And he gave his full worship to the Most High. To the Lord God. Now you would think something like that happening at the top of a kingdom. Would totally transform a nation. Or a land. You would think that from that point, the people would say, yes, it's the Lord God. And that revival would break out and just move throughout the whole land. But as we look at this section of scripture, some scholars believe Daniel was in his 80s. He was an older man. And and, and this book of the Bible doesn't move chronologically through the life of Daniel. And at this point, we basically see another king. And we see a land that has missed the power of God. They've missed the blessing of God. They've missed the movement of God in their ruler's life. Nebuchadnezzar had that good old-fashioned revival where he saw God, who he really is, and what he really does when we connect to the living God. That was Nebuchadnezzar. But let's just look at the account here. Daniel hasn't changed. Unfortunately, the great faith of Daniel and of this king was forgotten. It it opens up here and it talks about a great banquet. And and I want to just give a little bit of historical background just so we get a clear picture. Because it doesn't go into this in the chapter. But you know how families are a mess Sometimes families fight and we all think, boy, my family is dysfunctional. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay, you don't have to raise your hand. But the point is, man, we think we're dysfunctional. These guys were after power. And what happened in historically is that the son-in-law of King Nebuchadnezzar killed King Nebuchadnezzar's son, the next rightful king. And then his grandson, Belshazzar, is the one that we see here. So he was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. He was a part of that royal line. But his father was actually the one that killed the son of the prior king. What a messed up bunch. And as we come in, we see a kingdom... And it was well known across the world. And this was a great city of 1,200,000 people. And they had a mindset that we are the most powerful nation. The most powerful empire in the world. Nothing can harm us. We're untouchable. Every decision we make, people look at us and they say, if we could only be like Babylon. Man, 
They have the power. They have the resources. Matter of fact, it was said that they had gathered up enough food to last for two years if they came under siege, if they came under attack. Man, they, they had a false sense of security. They thought, we've reached that pinnacle. We're the most powerful place. We can't be defeated. We're, we're, we're going we're to last. And, and, and so as we come into our scripture, we read about this feast. And we're introduced to King Belshazzar. and It says he gave a great banquet. There's a thousand of his nobles that were present. Oh, it was so proper as they drank wine and all these important people gathered. But I want you to notice here in verse 2, it, it says, While drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. And then we read that the kings and the nobles and his wives and his concubines, they drank from these sacred vessels that were set aside for the worship of the one true God. Verse 4 says, As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Here's what breaks my heart is there was a man who was transformed by a meeting with a living God. And there's no doubt in my mind that he lived for God and that Daniel lived for God. But somewhere along the line, the message was lost. Somewhere along the line, revival was lost. Somewhere along the line, a great kingdom that thought nobody will ever conquer us. We're safe. We're secure. We have it all together. Left God out. Rebelled against God. And here, this is what scares me to death. I see a king, the grandson, his grandfather, became a man of God. He loved God with all of his heart. But this grandson, he was in rebellion against God. He saw himself as the highbrow, as the one in complete control, as the one who should be worshipped, as the one who should be adored, as the one who should be followed. That was his heart. And, and matter of fact, I think what he was doing, it was a form of rebellion to the God of his grandfather, the God Most High. Bring in those sacred cups, those sacred chalices. I'll show you who's really in charge around here. And, and those important to me, that we're going to drink from those sacred cups. It's not the God Most High that you serve and that you love and you follow. It's me. I'm the one that matters. And so at this great banquet, I don't know what, how else to say it, guys. It was desecration. It, there was not a sense of God is holy. And I'm going to listen to God. And I'm going to follow God. No. He wanted to fight against God. You see, there, there was a time in his life where he heard from his grandfather about the Most High. There was a time in his life that I believe he maybe had a tender spot toward God. But something happened and he's gotten older and crusty and hardened. And he's no longer listening. And, and then what happens, we read about, you know, all I can think of, I remember when I was a kid, I'd watch the Adams Family and there was this hand, the thing, da da da, I'd come through the trunk. You know, I don't know what it looked like, but there were these, this hand and these fingers that, that were writing 
on a wall. And boy, I bet that got some attention. I bet there were some people that had a little too much to drink that suddenly sobered up in a hurry, you know. That'll do it to you, I'm sure. Uh, and then we read in verse 6, his face turned pale, boy, I bet. <laughs> and he was so frightened, his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. And then at this, you know, after the, at this banquet, it, it had ended and it, and it just drove this king crazy. And what did he do? He, you know, he did the same old thing that we've looked at a couple of times. He called in the astrologers. He called in the diviners. He called in these so-called wise men of Babylon. <laughs> and he, he says here, whoever reads this writing tells me what it means will be clothed in purple, have a gold chain placed around his neck. He'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Now, a little background here. Basically, he said purple, that was royalty. Gold chain around your neck, royalty. The reason they said you'll be placed third and not second is this king, he still took the advice very seriously of his dad. And so although he was first, his dad was like second in command. It was like they co-reigned together. He said, so you're not going to get my post or my dad's post, but you'll be third, whoever can answer this. But the astrologers couldn't answer it. And so we read uh, in the scripture that they find someone who can answer it. Verse 12, this man Daniel who the king called Belshazzar was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, certain riddles, solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel and he will tell you what this means. Verse 10, we say this is a queen. Somewhere along the line, there was a memory this woman had. Belshazzar's grandfather. And of this man, Daniel, who was a godly man, who walked with God. But minds had been closed, ears had been closed. No one wanted to listen to what God had to say. It was a dark time, but this woman's like, I remember when I was younger, and, and just calling this one Daniel. He, he spoke to God, he, he heard from God, and, and King, I believe he can answer. He can answer. And so he comes in, I, and I want you to look at this, guys. Um, Verse 16, he says, I've heard you're able to give interpretation, solve difficult problems. The king's speaking to Daniel. You can read this writing. Tell me what it means. You'll be clothed in purple. You have a gold chain placed around your neck. You'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Notice what Daniel says. We, we see his, I, I've called it bravura, but basically it's just a, a courage. It's, it's, a, it's a boldness in a tough situation that, that he demonstrates. Daniel answered the king. He, you may keep your gifts for yourself. Give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I'll read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Man, that kind of courage. It's easy for us to say, well, you know, he's just a Bible character. He walked with God. Man, this is serious stuff. This guy had the power to kill you. Cut your head off. If you said something in disagreement to him, you were in serious trouble. Daniel was bold. And, and Daniel spoke the truth because he cared about Babylon. And he cared about people. And he knew it would do them no good to tiptoe around the truth. 
that it would do them no good to continue to rebel against God and to continue to be close to God. And he said, you know, this is a bunch of politics, you know, in our modern fair, you know. And you're going to really benefit if you can answer this, Daniel. Power. Money. And you're going to have it all. And Daniel's like, you know, that, that stuff passes. It has value, but I'm going to interpret not because of what you can give me. I'm going to interpret because we need God. And we still need God today. It's, it's, it's not enough with, with how great the United States is and the power that, that, that we have. And we have this great military and, and we've been financially blessed. But it's not enough. It'll leave. It'll go away. I guess we go down through here and, and he shares, uh, shares his heart with his king. Uh, he, he talks about Nebuchadnezzar. And he basically reminds them of the testimony of this king's grandfather. <laughs> he talks about how he had a high positions. Verse 19, all the people's nations of every language, they feared him. They dreaded him because he was powerful. And, and he put to death who he wanted to put to death, and he spared who he wanted to spare. Verse 20, it says, But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was disposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. In other words, what was the old saying? The bigger they are, the harder they fall. At some point, all of that was not big enough next to God. And then it tells about how God got a hold of his heart. He was driven away from people, given the mind of an animal. He lived with wild donkeys, ate grass like cattle, his body drenched with the dew of heaven. Look at that. Until he acknowledged the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. And sets them over them anyone he wishes. So he's sharing that testimony, and he's just extreme. I mean, he's extremely blunt, and he's extremely honest. He says, Oh, king, your grandfather, he too was all powerful. But God got a hold of him. God got a hold of him. Now, I want you to see the next part here. Wow, this is powerful stuff. Uh, verse 22. But you, his son, O Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. In other words, I'm not telling you something you don't already know. As you listen to your grandfather, you heard about God. You heard how he's the most high. You heard how to follow him is what really matters. And you have heard all this and you have made up your mind, Belshazzar. You have decided that you have no room in your heart for God. You have decided you will not repent. You have decided you will not follow God. You will not turn to him. You've decided that you won't control that you're going to call the shots and that you're the supreme authority. You've made your decision. Look at this as he goes on. He says, instead, you set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines. And you drank wine from them. You praise the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, stone, which cannot see, hear, understand. 
but you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your See, you made a decision. Your grandfather came to me, came to God. But you said no. And here's the sad thing. Just around the corner, we're going to read about judgment came. Now, we can kid ourselves all we want, and we can say, you know, God is a God of love, and we love to, we love that. We all do. We want to hear about God being God of love. But you know what? You can miss God. You can go too far. You can hear his voice and say no again and again and again until he doesn't speak to you again. And that's what happens with his king. Look at this. He he sent the hand, wrote this inscription. And he defines it here. Look at verse 26. Manes, God's numbered the days of your reign, brought it to an end. You think it's going to go on like this forever and ever and ever. You think that God is never going to change your life. But let me tell you something, O king, and may he tell us the same thing. Only he knows what tomorrow holds. Only he knows when he's either coming to take us home or whether we go to him. But one way or another, at some point, it's coming. Okay, uh, the next one here, he says to Cal, you have Men weighed on the scales and found wanting. In other words, we talk about God and He is a God of love. He is a God of grace. He is a God of forgiveness. But He's also a God that knows that we're sinners. Don't kid yourself. This idea that, oh, God's so loving and no matter what I do, I'm going to heaven. And Hey, look, Jesus died for a reason. Because we're sinners. He died for the fact that we need to be forgiven. We need a Savior. And we can't earn that kind of stuff. It's God's stuff. God is the one who is the sacrifice. The one who died in our place. He knows where we are. He knows our lives. And then he goes on here. He says, Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then this guy, he made a decision. And this is very sad as you come to the end of this thing. Uh, it's just heartbreaking stuff. Look at it here. He says, uh, Daniel answered the king. He, he just told it like it was to the king. Oh, man. Belshazzar's command, that at Belshazzar's command, verse 29, Daniel was clothed in purple. A gold chain was placed around his neck, and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. king kept his promise. Daniel received all that stuff, the gold chain, the the royal robe. He was third in command, but that's not what he was seeking. Why was it not what he was seeking? Because Daniel knew that that's not all life's about. We're all headed toward eternity. And Daniel knew that. And it's just kind of nutso. I'm sure Daniel was sitting there thinking as they put the gold chain around his neck and the royal robe on and talked about his high power. He thought... Man, this is all just temporary anyway. You can almost see him, you know. But notice what it says here in the last verse. Man, this is tragic stuff. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. 
And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. You see, they thought, I've got plenty of time. I don't have to worry about God's judgment. You know, I'll just, 10 years from now, I'll get things straight with God. and I'll receive Jesus and it'll all be taken care of. I don't have to worry about that stuff. But you see, his heart was hardened at that point. And he didn't realize that while he was speaking to Daniel, while he was trying to get some answers, that the enemy was marching through the kingdom they thought that was invincible. The kingdom that they thought could not be destroyed. And they were marching right through the river, getting ready to enter right into the kingdom, right into the gates. And that very night, his life would be taken. That very night, judgment would fall. And man, this this is a tough warning for all of us. You don't play games with the living God. God's just trying to say, hey, be honest. Be honest with where you are and be honest with who I am and make sure it lines up. Uh, I'm almost done. I just want to give a couple of scriptures here. Uh, This first one here, Jeremiah 27, verse 4. These are prophecies that were written almost 200 years before this account. um, Speaking about Babylon and the judgment that would come. This one's interesting, Jeremiah 27, beginning at verse 4. Give them a message for their masters and say, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Tell this to your masters. With my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its people and the animals that are on it. And I give it to anyone I please. Now I will hand all your countries over to my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I'll make even the wild animals subject to him. All nations will serve him, notice this, and his son and his grandson until the time for his land comes. Then many nations and great kings will subjugate him. Here's the grandson. The judgment's coming, buddy. Belshazzar. All right, one one more, and, and this is in the book of Isaiah. Chapter 13, we'll go over a book. In verse 1, he proclaims who this prophecy is to, an oracle concerning Babylon that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw. And then drop down to verse 13. Therefore, I'll make the heavens tremble. The earth will shake from its place at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning anger. As as the Medo-Persians march through the river and and head toward the kingdom, right into the presence of Belshazzar. Like a hunted gazelle, like sheep without a shepherd, each will return to his own people. Each will flee to his native land. Whoever's captured will be thrust through. He's about to be thrust through. All who are caught will fall by the sword. And then it just talks about the judgment. And and it even tells you here, I'll stir up against them the Medes. Those are the ones who are marching into the kingdom. Their bows will strike the young men. They'll have no mercy on infants. It's a terrible time. It's awful. There'll be no compassion. It says, Babylon, the jewel of kingdoms, the glory of the Babylonians' pride, it'll be overthrown by God. Like Sodom and Gomorrah, the the judgment is coming. and, And it shall never be inhabited again. It's a place of desolation now. Babylon 
is, is not to be found. <laughs> Through all generations, no Arab will pitch his tent there. No shepherd will rest his flocks there. But desert creatures will lie there. Jackals will fill their houses. Owls will dwell. Wild goats leap about. Hyenas howl in the strongholds. Jackals in her luxurious palaces. Her time's at hand. Her days will not be prolonged. It's a serious matter that we do business with the living God. It's a serious matter that we don't put off our need of a Savior. It's a serious matter that we don't think the blessings we're enjoying at the moment will always be there. And we can ignore God and do our own thing. Hey, as I challenge you and then challenge me, we need God. I don't want our country... And when I say our country, it's just like our church. I am the church. And I am the country. And the way that changes, well, there's only one way that makes any sense to me. And it's God. And it's revival. And a revival doesn't start with you. Revival starts with me. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your warning. As we come, Lord, we don't want to come playing games. We want to come and be honest with you, the living God. We have an altar that's open. And God, what are you up to? Bring those to the altar that need to come. You know what we're dealing with. The question is, are we honest before you, the living God? And Father, uh, there may be one here, and eh, we know about church and we know about religion. And we talk about you when we're here, but when we leave this place, it's different. I pray if anyone is there, that before it's too late, they would say yes to the hope of the world, Jesus Christ, and find a new life, a new hope, and take that hope to this world. Father, we all just need you. We're all missed, but thanks be to God, the Messiah is bigger than all that. And I just pray that now we would obey you as we stand to sing, as we come to pray. All of that, Father, is worship. May we leave here and may we say God was in this place. And may we walk out of here and say we don't want to leave him. He doesn't leave us, but we may leave him. May that not be the case, Lord. May we walk out of here and say I want to be close to the living God. In Christ's name we pray.